0: Defense, warning red. Stand by to lock up. Baltimore, warning red. Philadelphia, warning red. I repeat red. Blue, sir. Attention, Mitchell Field. Warning red. So it's orange now. Pass to all gun sights. Guns Turf- free, fire at any object. <laughs> WALT, it's the Midnight Disease. Sam Dingman coming to you on the Electro Voice RE20, via the Great River ME1NV, the Harrison 32 EQ, and the RNC 500. Analog tones on a Wednesday afternoon in the Moon Cabin, and has my voice ever sounded more radio than it does today? Not. An indication of any upgrade in my skill set or an intentional performance, but rather the lingering tendrils of a cold, which, as I'm sure we've all experienced, can sometimes have the tendency to make you think, wow, was I destined to tell the stories of the world in the night? Not everybody. I think that every time I have a cold. Before we get into the conversation, folks, I just want to send out a thank you to those of you who have sent me very kind notes about the latest post I put up on Substack. Very vulnerable piece that was not easy to write, and it's just meant so much to me to hear from those of you who have written about it. So thank you. And if you would like to know what I'm talking about, you can find it at samdingman.substack.com. And if you want to reach out, uh, as always, you can do that at midnight at walt.fm. Thank you so much for reading. Thank you so much for listening. And let's talk about the man you're about to listen to, Mr. Jordan Morris, better known in some circles as Jordan Morris Boy Detective. He is the longstanding co-host of Jesse Thorne, previous Midnight Disease guest. Um, The podcast Jordan Jesse Go uh, features the two of them and is, as we discussed on the Jesse Thorne episode, the continuation of the radio show that they have been doing together for, if you add it all up, more than 20 years at this point. The show that began on KZSC at UC Santa Cruz as The Sound of Young America and became the Jordan Jesse Go podcast, continues to this day, and as I told you last time, continues to be one of my favorite things to put in my head. This guy's voice has been rattling around in my brain, keeping me good company for more than 20 years. And what it what an extraordinary thing to feel that kind of connection with somebody's voice, and, and then to get to talk to them about... What's behind that sound? What's behind that lilt, that cadence, that particular sense of humor, that way of seeing the world? Who is that guy? And how does how does he show up when that guy is doing something besides co-hosting one of your favorite podcasts or radio shows? That's the experience that I got to have in this conversation with Jordan. And what was really fascinating about it, I have to say, is, you know, when I talked to Jesse, Jesse basically said that in his mind, kind of like the highest form of human expression is what his dad called shooting the shit. As Jesse put it, that moments in a conversation when that's what's happening feel like flying to him. And that's lovely, of course, but it also makes it make total sense that radio and broadcasting is Jesse's primary medium. It's it's the thing that he centers his creative output on because it is conversationally based. And what was cool about talking to Jordan is Jordan soars in that environment too to my ears. But in addition to being a really great podcast host, Jordan is a writer and has written for television and has written audio fiction and more recently has started writing comics and graphic novels. A few years ago, Maximum Fun, the podcast network that Jesse founded and Where Jordan and Jesse Do Jordan Jesse Go, put out Jordan's original audio fiction series, Bubble, which is a fantastic listen. You're going to hear us talk about it in this episode. Bubble is a story set in a literal bubble. <laughs> um, a sort of survival dome that has been set up in this dystopian, slightly futuristic hellscape. And it's the story of a bunch of people who are working in this incredibly warped and terrifying version of a gig economy, uh, trying to kill the monsters that roam this wasteland. And in doing this, Jordan finds all these really fun ways of satirizing the kind of absurd trappings of modern hipster life and in addition to the plot being propulsive and the characters being really rich and interesting and satirical in very smart ways, you can hear the delight of Jordan as the creator in every line of the show, as spoken by by every single character, especially, and I would only be able to hear it this way, but especially if you've been listening to Jordan as a conversationalist for many years, and it feels like getting to spend eight episodes just sitting in a comfortable chair in the corner of his brain where this story happens. And so what I was really excited to talk to Jordan about in this episode is what is the organizing spirit that animates his point of view on storytelling, being a good conversationalist in a podcast— What is the flame that lights all these different candles for him? Especially because sometimes things Jordan does in one medium then spill over into a different medium. So, for example, Bubble was an eight-episode audio drama. And then, because it was so successful, it became a graphic novel. And Jordan co-wrote the graphic novel and worked with illustrators to bring it to life. Mm -hmm. And as you'll hear him talk about, because it switched mediums, the story changed, the expression of the characters changed, but there are other things, as you will also hear, that remained consistent. And interestingly, in the context of all this, Jordan is getting ready to release a brand new graphic novel called Youth Group that was designed from conception to be a graphic novel. And so it's it's a different process than what he went through on Bubble. And you'll hear him talk about why that choice made sense to him for this particular story and. Now, if you are interested in learning more about that graphic novel, one, listen to the interview you're about to hear. But there's also going to be a link in the show notes or that I will tell you right now. It's bit.ly slash youth group book. And you can pre-order Youth Group as we speak. And we are going to speak to Jordan Morris right now on WALT (laughs) Jordan Morris, welcome to The Midnight Disease. Hi, good to be here. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, you are like actually one of the original podcasters. Like you, you have been podcasting almost since it was possible for that to be a thing someone oh, was yeah, doing. sure,
1: Sure, yes. We were the velvet underground of podcasting.
0: Yes, 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 yes. It's actually really interesting. I I'm I've been a Jordan Jesse Go fan for a very long time, and one of the things I've been doing recently is with shows that I really love that um have existed for a long time. Your your legacy podcasts, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um Yes, sure. I, I I insist everyone do. Everyone please call us a <laughs> legacy podcast. Yes, and with a capital put it in the L. name, Jordan Jesse Go, <laughs> colon, a legacy podcast. A legacy podcast. <laughs> so one of the things I've been Doing with those shows recently is is going back and listening to the first episode if if it's not something I've been listening to from the beginning. So I listened to the very first episode of of Jordan Jesse Go, and oh, one of the things <laughs> <laughs> so I, I wish I could give you your hour back. I'm sure it I'm sure it fucking sucked. <laughs> I no, quite the opposite actually. It it what was amazing to okay. me about it, it is that it is essentially the same thing you guys still do. The only difference is that there's no guest. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Sure. um, but the And I know that at that point, you and Jesse had already been working together for a long time, and we'll get into all that stuff. But the thing that's fascinating to me about it is you are literally having a conversation in that episode about what is it to make a podcast? How is it different from a radio show? And what is our goal with this? And so... Everybody loves that, by the way. Talking about the podcast on the podcast. That's, I think,
1: everyone's favorite. I'm so glad we hit the ground just saying, like, what are we going to do on this
0: show? Good for us. Every, yes. well, everyone's it, everyone's favorite part about the medium. If it's any solace, you were one of the first people to do that. So everybody else who does it is knocking Sure, yes, exactly. We,
1: we could do that. Everyone else who came after us
0: is a hack. Yeah. Yeah. We invented that shit, man. <laughs> so do you think of the podcast as part of your artistry? When you think of yourself as like I, Jordan Morris, artist, do you think of that label as containing podcasting or do you think of podcasting as something that you do that is exists kind of in parallel with your primary artistic identity as a writer
1: yeah I mean I I listen I joke about the podcast being <laughs> bad or low effort or whatever <laughs> but yeah I, I am really proud of Jordan Jesse go and I I really do love doing it and I'm stoked that we've been doing it for so long definitely like it's really cool that we you know just started dicking around 15 years ago or whatever. And they're still dicking around today. And yeah. And I think that the joke about the show is that like, it's just two dudes and a guest bullshitting and for 90 minutes and then it's over. But I do think Jesse and I think a lot about like how to make a good show and, and how to like improve. And I do think we've definitely like improved on the show even though it hasn't changed that much like format wise or content wise like I do think that like we're better hosts and the show is better now than it was then and I I do think a lot about like you know when I'm on a podcast myself I am like pretty aware of like do I feel comfortable on this show is this like host you know helping me to be my best and i mm-hmm, want to do mm-hmm. that for the people who are on our show i like want to, i don't want them to feel like they're just sitting in the corner while two dorks who have known each other make inside jokes to each other and i know that we are like guilty <laughs> of that sometimes you know like i think definitely like in the past and hopefully not that much but sometimes now we can just be like dudes that dick around with our little inside jokes while the guests Nods politely, <laughs> but I I, I I I don't I don't want the show to be that. I think I I think it works it, it works really well when we're all having a good time, like together, and the guest feels like they can jump in and dick around with us or take us on their own little dick around journey that they want to go on. So so yeah, mm-hmm. it is you know it is not a it's not a super complex show to make, but as a creative person, I do consider it one of my like products. And yeah. I, I do think I get a lot of my ideas from like conversation. Like having <laughs> conversations <laughs> with people, joking around with people. It's just such a great idea generator. And mm-hmm. like that's what that show is. It's it's goofing around, it's having conversations. I think it is like so good for my brain doing that show. And yeah, I, I think while you know, I haven't, like, written any scripts about things that we've talked about on the podcast. I do think that it is like, part of keeping my brain limber and curious. And God, certainly during that, that pandemic, remember that thing? Uh, when, when we weren't, uh, you know, talking to anybody or getting together with people, like, being able to, like, still mm-hmm. get together every week and goof around and dick around yeah. and you know, kind of work out my conversation muscles was just invaluable. So
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, something that I really respond to about Jordan Jesse Goh and and honestly about like I've am the type of Jordan Jesse Goh fan who like regularly goes back and is listens to like episodes of the college years. I okay. there's just something about your guys' like connection with each other that is very magnetic to me. And in anticipation of talking to both you and Jesse, I was trying to think like, well, what is that thing? And the distillation that I came up with in in my mind is that I feel like to me you guys have never lost this spirit as broadcasters that I would describe as we get to do this. <laughs> like, yeah, th- they're letting <laughs> us do this. Um right. and that is that has just always 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 been there. So, if you can remember what was it like, you know, because I've heard you tell the story before of Jesse being your RA and going to his dorm room and seeing the kids in the hall poster and thinking, like, I think I could hang with this dude. <laughs> um, yeah. What What was it like, if you can think back to those those early days going into the studio at KZSC, was being on the radio something you had always dreamed of? Did you just want to hang out with Jesse more? What, do you remember what those feelings were? Yeah. I mean... Yeah, definitely like
1: being on the radio was exciting. I grew up with like morning radio DJs that I really loved and stuff like that. So so yeah, the idea of like being funny on the radio was really exciting. And yeah, I don't know, just like making something that people could could consume was 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 a cool idea. I mean, I don't think that many people did. Uh, you know, it is a was a college <laughs> radio station, and we were on at six a.m. or whatever, so it was probably you know, twenty five truckers who just happened to be pulling through <laughs> the area or whatever. But yeah, just the, the fact that it was kind of like it, it had the ability to go out to the world. You know, I, I think as a as a as a kid when we were doing our like high school plays uh i remember like really wanting to like go out and like flyer the community for our plays i don't think we actually Mm -hmm. ever did that but i really wanted to like make posters for our plays and go and you know hang them up at coffee shops or the library or whatever Mm -hmm. Uh, because yeah i think there was just something exciting about like Real people could consume this, not just my friends or not just my family. And I think Uh that's who goes to high school plays, obviously. But like... The idea that like a stranger could experience this and it can make them feel a certain way or it could entertain them was really exciting. So yeah, that was a really exciting thing for me because I think all the performing I had done up to that point, which was like high school plays, was like, oh, it's for a very insular like world of people that know me. And I think mm-hmm, the idea mm-hmm. that like, oh, someone who doesn't know
0: me could hear this. Yeah, well, what's that's, that's extremely relatable, but it's also fascinating to me because- it seems like from the beginning, something that you and Jesse and uh, Gene, who was part of the show at that time, yeah, big time Gene
1: O'Neill. We all we all had uh, that we Jesse and I still use the dumb nicknames we had at the time, and uh, Gene <laughs> Gene's was big time. I don't know if he still goes by big time, but I I hope he does.
0: <laughs> well. Something that's really interesting to me about what you said about the idea that you could be making something that is for others to be affected by is that Mm. implies a sort of externalized focus, if that makes sense. Uh And yet, the way that you guys approached the show from the beginning and that you seemed to intuit somehow was what would be the most appealing was... To just be yourselves, to just talk about your Mm -hmm. actual lives on at that time on campus. Later, as dudes in LA trying to figure things out. Um, Yeah, and I know you did games. Like, I there's an episode where you guys call New York to see where there's like the best phone booth or something. I know you had like some sort of like uh, yeah, sounds like like something would do (laughs) segments, (laughs) right? But the the meat of the show was just you guys relating to each other as yourselves and Mm -hmm. it felt like it was as much for you as it was for an external audience. I guess the question in that is, was that conscious? Did you guys talk about like, okay, we're going to have personas, like we're kind of going to play characters or did you know, like, let's just be us the way we are when we hang out in Jesse's dorm room? Yeah. I don't think it was ever like a conversation, but I think that the
1: thing that like I was imitating I cannot speak for Jesse on this I'm sure he had a totally different frame (laughs) of reference Uh, but I think the thing that like I was imitating was like morning radio like the morning radio Mm -hmm. show I grew up with was Kevin and Bean on KROQ 106.7 and Mm -hmm. uh, you know and they were a morning show on an alternative rock radio station so obviously they did like prank calls and song parodies and, you know, chug a gallon of milk to win tickets to Green Day type things. <laughs> but right. I think yeah. that the reason I liked that show so much and the fact that it, you know, it, it meant something to me rather than it just being like something that I turned on in the morning or something that, you know, my clock radio was set to, was that like mm-hmm. they did do a lot of segments where they were just – themselves and they were just funny weirdos Mm -hmm. talking about funny weirdo stuff. You know, be the bean of Kevin and Bean, Bean Baxter, was just kind of an eccentric dude who like loved the post office, and I think at one point moved from LA to like, you know, an island off of Seattle and did the show remotely from there, and just like Uh him being kind of a weirdo on a radio station that played mostly Metallica was really just fun and funny to me. And so, yeah, I think that was the thing I was kind of trying to bring to it, was that like, hey, we have segments and we have like this prepared comedy, but also like, you know, we're funny weirdos. So let's, you know, we can can have moments where we just like
0: talk to each other and people would like it. I think part of the reason that feels and I promise I'm not being hyperbolic here, sort of profound to me and was really transformative for me to listen to when I discovered your guy's show, is that for me in my own artistic journey, that idea of you are enough, that people just want to feel like they're getting a little piece of you in your work, That it was a very long journey for me to that point. I don't <laughs> even know if I'm there yet. Um, and... It seemed, in retrospect, it seems to me that it's something that you guys were in touch with kind of right out of the gate. And it makes me want to ask, I know you were also doing sketch comedy, I think, also with Jesse, if I'm not mistaken, at that time. Yeah, yeah. We we definitely (laughs)
1: wanted—we were— such comedy doofuses, I think we wanted to just try every comedy thing that we could. Yeah. I think yeah, we did had an improv group <laughs> and we had a sketch group. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I think Jesse did this a little bit, but I think we both like tried stand up at a certain point. Um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. anyway, so yeah, we were I think we were just fucking around with
0: anything we could fuck around with. So in your writing at that time, were you also writing basically as characters who were kind of just yourself were were you was that also a value that you put into your comedy writing or were were you writing sketches that were more scenarios or like uh scenic uh, conceptual conceits that right were just supposed to be sort of like funny ideas
1: i don't think i have ever been a writer that does a lot of overtly autobiographical stuff. I think that, like, mm-hmm. any writer who writes anything will have some of themselves in their writing, no matter what it is, no matter how, you know, cynical and corporate a, a job you're doing, like, there will be some of you in that thing you produce. So, something that I am excited about that I have coming out next year ish is a graphic novel called Youth Group. Uh, I did it with a great artist named uh, Bowen McGurdy. It is coming out via First Second, and it is a YA horror comedy about um, teenage exorcists. They are in this kind of like goofy, (laughs) you know, Christian Bible study group, but they also have to do exorcisms. And it is is set in Orange County where I grew up, and I definitely, you know, was a kid who went to those like goofy Mm sing-along Bible studies. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I kind of turned in the pitch and my editor, Callista Brill, is like, hey, why don't you set this in the 90s? The pitch was not set in the 90s. The pitch was modern day. But um, she kind of had this notion that it might be fun to set it in the 90s, which I thought was a, a, a great idea. So I I wrote this thing. Bowen did a wonderful job drawing it. And when I was kind of proofreading it back, I'm like, oh, Wow this is hyper, hyper personal. I don't think you would recognize me as any of the characters. There's not like mm-hmm. a dude with curly hair who loves kids in the hall.
0: But right. <laughs> like a lot
1: of these characters like are going through really specific stuff that I went through. And it is a funny book and has demons and magic powers and whatever. But when I read it back, I'm like, oh, wow, this is like... Really specifically about my childhood and like a lot of the like feelings I was having at the time. And I kind of like the way in which that was personal. I, you know, I like The Moth and This American Life, and I do love those kind of more autobiographical comics, but it's never been something I've like wanted to do myself. And it was kind of interesting to like produce something that I recognize is really, really personal. But also, I didn't have to put in a character with curly hair who liked kids in the hall. Like these could be characters who were not me in many ways, but also i I could put a lot of my feelings into,
0: yeah, although I have to say it's it's interesting hearing you describe it because from the, from the way you're describing it, it almost sounds like it's like you noticed that it was personal after the fact. if that makes sense, yeah. like. Mm-hmm if I'm hearing you right, it's not like you explicitly said, you know, I've been wanting to write about my experiences in youth group for a long time. What's a conceit that would allow me to do that? It sounds more right. like it was, here's a conceit I'd like to do. Oh, I, without necessarily intending it, I've actually written about a bunch of things that I really, that that actually happened to me. Yeah, it is that second thing. It is the,
1: like, I, I just kind of liked that as a premise. I'm like, oh, this would be kind of funny. Like, what if these, like, Bible study goofballs actually had to do an exorcism. And that premise just kind of made me laugh. So I kind of like started there. And then, you know, the specifics of the world were just like stuff that I
0: experienced, you know? So how does that differ from your experience of creating Bubble? Because I've heard you say about Bubble that you had, you were kind of observing some phenomena in the lives of your friends, like people... Kind of building their entire lives around the gig economy and like casually throwing around the phrase, like, oh, we live in a bubble. And Mm -hmm. that you, in ruminating on this, sort of spun these ideas up into this entire world where this story was taking place. Did you have the same experience on Bubble of realizing that you were also writing about things personal to you, or was that more of like a, a flight of fancy, so to speak?
1: I mean, I think when I go back and look at Bubble, the graphic novel or podcast um, version of Bubble, I do definitely see a lot of myself in those characters. Mm-hmm. And I think that like, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think at a certain point, I, I relate to all of them. There's kind of four main characters. And I think that like, at certain points in my life, I've, I've been all four of them. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I, I think that's kind of a way that I like to write is like, I like to... Put some of myself into everybody, um, and, and I and I think that sometimes comedy, if you if you do that, it it has less a chance of coming off as mean and more a chance of coming off as like affectionate or like an affectionate <laughs> noogie rather than like you know we're gonna take this thing or person down. Um, which you know I think that writing like that can be very good and very effective, but it's just not my thing. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I hope that Bubble and Youth Group have the same quality of being like, this isn't something that the author hates and that they're trying to topple or make a mockery of. They They think that it is funny and they think that it is stupid in many ways, but also that it has mm-hmm. value and the people participating in it aren't stupid or mean. So, yeah, I hope that both of these seem affectionate yeah i i don't i don't I'm not super interested in like putting myself into like fictional scenarios, but I do want like every character to have something that I can feel or something that i ca I can relate
0: to in them. It's really interesting talking to you about this approach because Lauren Shippen was on the show recently, and we talked about oh yeah Lauren Shippen she's great well, so I'll put this to you one of the things that was interesting to me about what she said about the bright sessions is I would have assumed. Just going off of listening to it, that right. her idea was, um, here's a great idea, a therapist who whose patients all have uncanny supernatural abilities, and we're hearing those conversations. Right. And in fact, what she said is, it was not that at all. It was that she wanted to write about the experience of having panic attacks, and was looking uh-huh. for the right frame for it, and kind of found her way to this conceit. So she was kind of saying, you know what I'm hoping people respond to in this writing is the accurate uh, representation of of that state of mind. And what's fascinating to me about what you're describing is I love Bubble and The Bright Sessions because they both feel so specific. But if I'm hearing you write, you were taking almost the inverse approach, which was I don't want people to be thinking about the specifics of any particular character. I more want people to respond to my point of view in creating this world where we can affectionately noogie all of these different things, like the gig economy, um yeah, you know, like book club, uh, bar trivia, like all of these things that sure. are sort of central to like yeah the good the, natured the deep conceits culture. of uh,
1: modern modern urban hipster living. Sure. Yes. 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 No, I, I mean, I I do want people to like love those bubble characters and I love them and I mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm, and I, I think mm-hmm. that people do I think that people like love their love their friendship and love you know and can see themselves in them I definitely don't want anyone mm-hmm. to come off as a cartoon or a sketch you know none of the main characters mm-hmm, anyways mm-hmm. I guess I have people in my things who are a little a little sketchy and you know just kind of there for the joke but hopefully none of the main characters seem like that um yeah mm-hmm. I, I don't know I think that's just kind of where my brain starts maybe it's some mm-hmm. byproduct of kind of starting in sketch comedy but i kind of think of a premise first and mm-hmm. then you know populate that premise with people um i'm sure that way of working has drawbacks and maybe it like you know makes it an uphill battle to like relate to the characters because they started in a way that's a little more sketchy and a little more premisey. but um yeah i i, I think you can have both i think i think that's something that starts kind of premise first or concept first can have great characters. But I definitely
0: like in the past do a lot of starting premise first. Well, one of the ways that you do that really effectively in bubble, I think is that you have a narrator, which I love because I think in my own experience of listening to audio fiction, there's a lot of it that is trying to, it it almost seems like you can hear them working to avoid having a narrator. Um, sure. because uh, I don't know why they're doing that, but it's like, I often wish like, could someone just tell me what's, what's happening because I'm listening to this. I can't see any of it. <laughs> um, and what you do so effectively is give the listener that gratification, but the narrator is also really funny and like has a, a, a stakes, has stakes in, and, and a point of view on, on what's taking place. So, I'd be curious if you could talk a little bit about how you arrived at the decision to, to have a narrator as part of the presentation of the story. Thanks. I, I also like the narrator
1: in bubble a lot. Um, that is the great Tavi Gevinson and just knocked that out of the park. Um, yeah. And we, we definitely did a pass on all the narrator dialogue, just going through and saying like, how can we make this funny? How can we make this interesting? How can we give this a little point of view? Um, Yeah, Mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, I am a mega fan of The Bright Sessions, as I mentioned, Uh, not just the podcast, but also the great YA novels that came from The Bright Sessions. Mm -hmm. Um, And I Mm -hmm. think that they use found audio really well. I think it, like, is, it makes sense in the world of the story. It um, doesn't seem gimmicky. It is, like, very well done. But I do think that other scripted podcasts just just default to, we have to make this found audio. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I don't know why everyone assumes that's, that's the primary way to do it. I think it's just maybe a, a product of like, it's kind of a young medium. I know it comes from like you know audio dramas like dick tracy or the shadow or whatever like it's in that tradition but <laughs> uh-huh. like you know narrative for podcasts is like you know fairly new and people are still figuring it out so like mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. you know i think i think people are just kind of like not imitating but like getting inspiration from like the stuff that's been successful i think that's why people kind of default to the found audio model we thought about it with bubble like oh how can this be someone's like audio from someone's vlog or you know can it be Mm -hmm. a world where everyone's recording each other all the time Mm -hmm. but it just Mm -hmm. like seems so limiting and like not fun (laughs) you know it like took away some of the fun of it and like yeah raised more questions than it than it answered like why are we hearing all of this (laughs) you know and (laughs) yeah yeah, so I, i think that like it just made more sense to have a narrator and i don't know maybe it's a little clunky maybe like it requires a little bit of like mental gymnastics to understand like who's a character and who's the narrator but I don't know I think it works I think it works pretty well and I definitely like would encourage people making
0: audio fiction to like not necessarily resort to found audio. Mhm. I think you a few minutes ago said that what you enjoy doing is coming up with a premise that excites you and then populating that premise with characters. And it it from the way you're describing it it strikes me that ultimately you what, what you landed on was to follow that value, which is that one of the characters who lives within this premise is this wry, sardonic narrator. That that is included in the premise. It's not that uh, the premise is somehow dependent on that person. Sounds like a subtle difference saying it out loud, but I think it really matters. And I just really, I appreciate what you're saying so much because I think it is a place where so much audio fiction trips over itself is it feels like it needs to justify its own existence before it can tell the story it wants to tell. Sure. And I don't know, I think it's a very valuable lesson that you've shared of like, just give yourself permission for there to be a way to tell the story so that you can just get to telling the story. Because there. I think there's so few listeners who would turn on a show like that and be like, but... But why am I hearing all this? You know? <laughs>
1: yeah, like we don't think that with TV shows, right. you know, like
0: who's filming this? Oops, sorry, I knocked
1: over a glass of water. <laughs> oh, <Hold on>. oh. <laughs> sorry. Of course, that went right onto my tax documents. Oh no!
0: <laughs> I think um, very weird that I had them right below that glass of water. I think anyway. I think that technically <laughs> means you owe zero taxes for the year two thousand twenty-two. So
1: yeah, that <laughs> negates negates all my tax responsibilities. Uh, no. Like I was saying, yeah, I don't think in, in TV or movies we think, why is someone who's filming right. this, you know? Like, there are fake documentaries. There are The Office and Spinal Tap and whatever, and those have to, like, follow documentary conventions. But, yeah, I, I think as as the medium, like, continues and evolves and more people get into it, there will be – people will, like, latch on to other ways to tell those
0: stories. Yeah, and I'm glad you, you mentioned The Office uh as part of that because, like, one of the things I find most kind of weird about the popularity of The Office and even Parks and Recreation is at a certain point, the documentary conceit, it totally falls away. Like, the idea that there's this documentary being made no longer makes sense. Like, why would they still be making it? At a certain point, it's just, this is how the story's being told. And we love the world so much that we don't care. Like, nobody ever says, like, you know, the... (laughs) The mise-en-scene of this actually uh, hasn't been fully thought through. Like, uh, whatever, whatever you need to like, get yourself into that world seems to be the right thing. So, because you mentioned this idea of being able to be affectionate towards things but also make fun of them at the same time. When you say that, it makes me think of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Um, yeah, yeah. And I know you have you have said before that that was very influential for you as a as a kid. Do you remember what it was about it that you connected with? Yeah, I mean, I I think that, you know, there's a
1: gentle Midwestern sensibility to the humor (laughs) that I think I really liked. Uh, I did a little bit of writing for Riff Tracks, mm-hmm. which is a a kind of movie riffing site that um, a lot of the MST3K guys are involved with. And something they said to me early on about like the tone they were going for, it's like, we want you to be making jokes about what's going on, but like we don't like to lean too hard on like, this movie sucks mm-hmm. or this actor sucks, like... We're just trying to be funny and, you know, in a lot of the cases the movies are bad, but we don't want to seem like we're you know, angry or bitter or something like that because that's not 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 that fun to watch mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. extended periods. Um yeah, and I think I I really I really like that philosophy of like can you tease something without saying like this sucks, fuck this. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. I think it's not kind of not my thing and 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 the stuff I respond to is, like, tries to be a little more affectionate with its humor. Um, and, yeah, I, I think there was something to MST3K in that it is, like, simulating what it's like to not have a lot of entertainment choices. <laughs> um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do the fucking gen x elder millennial thing of saying remember when we couldn't just boot (laughs) up anything we wanted to watch bugging cold take um but but i do remember that i do remember that sure (laughs) well yeah and it was it was a thing and it was just kind of like well you know maybe you had a little vhs collection and maybe Mm -hmm. you know you could record something off tv if you knew how to work your vcr but for the most part we were like you had to kind of ingest what you were being fed, you know, in terms of TV and music and whatever. So there would just be times when you, if you wanted to watch something or listen to something, that thing kind of (laughs) sucked and you didn't like it. And if you wanted to like not be miserable, and if you wanted to like have fun, sometimes you joked about it. If you were with friends, you would joke around about it and it was kind of it became less about the thing and more about like having fun with your friends like you know like Mike and Joel and the bots just trying to have fun with each other despite being trapped on a space station so yeah I I think that was like something that really meant something to me of like mediocre entertainment or bad entertainment doesn't have to make you mad Mm. like you can have fun even if you don't love it you can still like have fun and get something out of it
0: this makes me think of something i heard you say once that you were trying to again affectionately noogie in bubble which is the the character of the beard that you were like trying to take the piss out of a a little bit that the type of geekdom which believes there is one true take on all matters of culture and that if you do not subscribe to that belief, you do not understand it in some fundamental way. And the point that you were making in this interview, which I thought was so wise, is you said that leaves out, the example you cited was the Star Wars prequels. And you said, that leaves out the fact that maybe somebody went to see those movies with their two best friends, and then afterwards, they had a five-hour conversation where they all got really, really, really close. And that means that there was value to the movie, even if at a cinematic level, it wasn't on the same plane as as the other movies. And that there is this relationship to things that makes them more than just what's on the screen. Yeah, I, I, I think the thing that
1: absolutely applies to is definitely like music. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think that that is definitely the realm of the snobbiest snob, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and... I think that the music that was important to you at at various times in your life, there's like no judging it objectively. Mm-hmm. You know, it just like, it's too attached to feelings. It's too attached to experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like obviously that also applies to movies and books and TV too. But like, you know, if you're ever wondering like, why does somebody like this? Oh my God, how could this be? popular and that is something that I think and feel sometimes mm-hmm. I definitely sure. like when I look at things that are popular <laughs> that I don't get mm-hmm. <laughs> or dislike there's this feeling of like oh my god why and and I think your immediate reaction could be like well just the people who like it are stupid they're <laughs> <Right>. stupid <laughs> and, you know like I think there's a more generous way to look at it in that like this means something to mm-hmm. them. There's a special something attached to this. It's a kind way of looking at pop culture that I that I try and have. If someone likes something, it's it's a little more interesting to figure out why rather than mm-hmm. you know assuming that it's because you know, they're dumb.
0: Right, right. Well, I, I mean, honestly, you're making me think about, you know, you will say about Jordan Jesse Go, like, oh, we're the podcast that everybody makes fun of as the thing that's wrong with podcasts. It's like, it's two white guys, sure. like, making dick jokes and talking to a famous person. But what what I really connect with about the show is that it reminds me of a time when I had a college radio show with my dearest friends. And in the course of recording it, I would spend every minute thinking like, "Is there a way to just do this forever? This is the only thing mm-hmm. I ever want to do." And every time I listen to you guys, I have this little thought like, "They fucking did it! Like they they figured out <laughs> how to do that thing that I wish I could do." And nothing. What was your What was your college radio station? <laughs> it was uh, WSRN in Media, Pennsylvania. I believe the transmitter did reach the edge of the campus, but uh, I've never had that proven. (laughs) So it was the most powerful college radio transmitter of all time. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah, maybe double digit wattage, but um, I'd I'd have to go back and (laughs) take a measurement of that. But you know what I mean? Like that nothing's ever going to take that association away from me. So it's just it's exciting and gratifying for me to hear as somebody who has that sort of relational connection with your work that that wow. is actually something that you appreciate and are trying to cultivate in your own projects
1: no thanks and that's, that's that's very nice of you to say and it's always nice to like hear that like pe- people get something out of it mm-hmm. and despite mm-hmm. the fact that like podcasting has come so far mm-hmm. since then um and the fact that people still just do like to hear a you know goofy funny chat show is is really really cool we're yeah, I think we are we are never we are never not appreciative that that people still listen to the show, you know, despite there being so many choices now. I think you know you 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 perhaps could chalk our original audience up to the fact that like, well, there's just not a lot of podcasts, <laughs> and you know, uh, these guys got Andrew WK, and if you wanted to listen to Andrew WK on something, it was either this or track down a terrestrial radio interview yeah, that he yeah. did that someone uploaded mm-hmm. so so yeah I, I think like you know we definitely benefited from being early to a not crowded marketplace but but yeah it's it's really cool that people have like stuck with the show and and yeah anytime we hear about like someone just discovering the show and new listeners dropping in it's it's so cool it's 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 awesome <laughs>
0: Plenty more to come with Jordan Morris, right here on The Midnight Disease. We'll be back after a short break. You're listening to WALT. That I have always wanted to ask you is one of the things that was that's also always been very appealing to me about listening to you on the show is you're doing something that I, it, for me as a listener creates this experience of like how they how do they give themselves permission to do that? Which is you have a guest on, and this is like you know a very famous person, Pat Oswald, say, and you start the show, and it's it's you and Jesse talking, and then eventually you invite Pat Oswald or whoever it is to join in your vibe. You don't, right. you know, simp around being like, "Oh, Pat Oswald, thank you so much for being here. Like, th- you know, it's it's so nice of you mm-hmm. to give us your time." You're not falling all over yourselves to try to make yourselves seem worthy of their presence. It's almost like you're implicitly saying, "Like, you're welcome for this ninety-minute opportunity to mm-hmm. like right. get on our level." Um, sure. And there's there's a real power to that and it seems like it's always been there and I guess I'm the the question in that is as a kid who was a fan of comedy and mm-hmm. you know really cared about these people was that a struggle early on did you feel a temptation to simonize towards these people or did you just somehow have this ability to feel like it was okay that this they were in your house
1: yeah i mean i i i think if you go if you went back and like listen to so on the college radio show that we've talked about we we did like have the occasional guest that we were super fans Mm -hmm. of like we had you know a post Mr. Show David Cross. Mm-hmm. We had uh we had some of the mystery science theater guys. Um a lot of folks that we like looked up to. And I, I bet if you went back and listened to those, we would come off a little more simp-y, your words, not mine. <laughs> um and, and yeah, and just kind of been fanboys. Um I think now, you know, we're 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 like confident in our ability to like chat and bring someone in. Um again I I think you know that is definitely an area where we where we struggle sometimes is like making sure the guest is as much a part of the show as we are but but we try um we know that there's a lot of interview shows and that like people aren't tuning into our show to for an interview. Um, you know, I, I I can see how people who are just like Patton Oswalt fans might be just searching for his name, you right. know, in Apple right. Podcasts uh-huh. and come across our show looking for, you know, information about his new comic book and <laughs> right. are just like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> One star. Uh, so, you know, we get that. That's going to happen. Sure. Um, nothing we can do about it. But yeah, hope- hopefully, I think the thing we want is you know, people to hear someone that they like, just have a different kind of conversation, like just have mm-hmm. something that's a little more silly and fun. And mm-hmm. like, ideally, you know, you can learn something about them and and maybe something like more emotional or honest comes through. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. like, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think it's fun that we can do a show that that where people can kind of stray from the prepared remarks and stray from the press release, talking point type thing. There is something fun about hearing a Patton Oswalt, a Judy Greer, a Kumail Nanjiani, just like, kind of dick around and, you know, talk about zoos or their favorite recipes or old video games or something like that. It's, I don't know, I think it's something cool that our show does. And, and, and I, I think,
0: I think, The people who like the show like that about it. Yeah. Well, and especially, you know, if it's somebody who is really, really famous and is on a press tour for something, there Mm -hmm. can be this way in which they make the rounds of all your favorite podcasts and you hear them hit the same eight talking points over and over and over again. And in a way, it is actually more instructive about how Kumail Nanjiani approached playing this sort of serious character in uh, the the male stripper show uh, that he Chip, was in. Chippendales, welcome to Chippendales. Yeah. Yeah. To hear his, his, his philosophy on other things, like what animates him about other things in his life, and then to watch the performance and have those ideas echoing in your mind, that's actually a richer experience than just having him say like, oh, the director, such a genius. Oh, the writer's such a genius. Sure. Yeah. But the other thing is that in riffing, not just with Jesse, but with the guest... Oftentimes, things about you guys come through, and I, I wanted mm-hmm. to ask you in particular about. Uh, there is an episode from early last year, I think, with Cameron Esposito, mm-hmm. and you guys ended up talking a lot about faith and mm-hmm. the role that it's it's played in your lives. And there's one section in the conversation where the conversation goes to this place of basically talking about comedy as a way of processing uh, religious trauma, basically. (laughs) Yeah. Uh And you chime in very earnestly to say, you know, I think it's really important that we don't lose in this moment the fact that there are plenty of religious people who aren't reactionaries, who aren't Trump supporters, who just, like care about service and love the community that faith creates. Sure. And it was this fascinating moment on Jordan, Jesse go of a kind that there, you know, because of the nature of the show that there aren't many of where everybody just kind of stopped for a second. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, do you remember this this moment? Do you remember this conversation?
1: Yeah, I definitely remember Cameron talking about mm-hmm. all of her experiences. Mm-hmm. That is a, a very fun episode, and Cameron is a great, like, not only a a really hilarious comic, but just a real great, like, talker about emotions and feelings and experiences. Uh yeah, one of one of the best. Um, I think that like in the time we're in now where we can see the worst fucking right-wing assholes being fucking awful constantly all the time and like using religion to back it up, it is really easy and really understandable that you would just be like, fuck these people. I get it. I absolutely get it. And if that is how someone feels, good on you. There is, there is more than enough cause to feel like that. I think just like in my personal experience, I just have a lot of family members and people in my life who like are religious people and are very reasonable, Biden voting, uh, gay loving, uh, a abortion-liking, you know, reasonable people who enjoy their church community and think that, like, religious teaching helps them think about the world and be a better person. (laughs) And I realize that a lot of people might not have those people in their life, so the only religious people they see are their worst family members at Thanksgiving and, you know, every Fox News asshole who's being an asshole so i i i i get that but i i think that just like you know when 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 you're doing that thing when you're talking about religion i i i don't know i just feel like i'm i'm being at my most honest when i'm saying like hey i'm cheerfully agnostic in all of these matters who knows (laughs) but um you know i i i do have you know, religious people in my life that I, like, respect and love and look up to. I just, you know, want to make sure that, like, when I'm joking about something, that I'm not, like, just joking about it because everybody is, that I'm, you know, I'm thinking about stuff, and I'm not just, like, saying stuff to get a laugh or to get an applause or to be, like... You know, seen as a man with impeccable takes. I'm not just trying to be a good take guy. I, yeah, yeah I do, I do want to like be honest and share my feelings and share my truth. And, you know, even though the show is pretty fluffy and pretty goofy, like, you know, I do want to be myself for a version of myself on it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean that goes back to me to the, what you responded to as a kid in on Kevin and Bean, which was mm-hmm. um that the authenticity that you could feel uh was coming off of them even if it was you know this like vaguely morning zoo-ish morning show on an alternative sure. yeah. music station. When you were a kid growing up in what I think you describe in that episode as a like uh, non-threateningly evangelical Christian community of some kind. Were you a an earnest believer for a time? Yeah, I think
1: at, at the time that was like really important to me and that like hip youth group really spoke to me. Mm-hmm, it really mm-hmm. like made sense and it was kind of like culturally where all of my friends were at. So it really like definitely meant something to me at the time. And, hmm, You know, and maybe I'm not remembering it as it was, or maybe I'm putting a little bit of, like, rose-colored sheen on it, but I definitely don't remember it being as nasty and political as things are now. And maybe that was something that was happening, you know, in the adult services, and maybe that was stuff that was happening, but it was, like, going over my head, and maybe I was, like, just, you know, not with it enough to, like, understand it. But I think that, like, I recognize how yucky all that stuff has become. My experience with it is that it was a little more welcoming and a little more, like, (laughs) a little less toxic. So I think that, like, you know, it, it kind of became something that, like, wasn't serving me in my life anymore. And, yeah, definitely the, like, political baggage around it uh, doesn't help things at all. Yeah, I think for to for a time,
0: like, that stuff was really important to me and really spoke to me. How do you think about, because one of the other things that comes up in that conversation is this idea that for a lot of comedians who grew up religious, comedy has sort of replaced religion, for them, either from the standpoint of mm-hmm. community or from the standpoint of it being a platform for them to evangelize about their beliefs. Uh, sure. um, do you feel that way? Do, do you feel like comedy and religion like switched places or is it, do they live alongside each other? I think that there's something
1: to the community thing for me, definitely. I think that, like, yeah, a lot of my like friends and the people I'm close with are like creative people and people who kind of you know, work in the biz or the arts or something like that. And, like, absolutely, when I first moved to L.A. and was doing, like, sketch and improv at UCB and similar, that has big youth group energy, big, big, you know... Uh Uh charismatic leader vibes (laughs) it's got chants it's got songs Mm -hmm. you have little after parties Mm -hmm. you know more more drinking and pot certainly but um (laughs) you know definitely like that world of like organized improv has has a lot of youth group energy and and i don't like participate in that too much anymore but like a lot of the friends i have in la are like people i met doing improv and people i you know, took little classes with and did, you know, 11 p.m. shows mm-hmm. on Tuesday night, for or five people with. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think that, like, like, the community that comes with church is really, like, something you can get
0: out of being in a creative community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, if you're comfortable saying, since you're—it sounds like you're writing about a lot of these ideas or in this world mm-hmm. in youth group— can you think of any specific parts of of the book where you put the characters in a certain situation or had them confronting some some aspect of of this world that was a, taken somewhat directly from your own time?
1: Yeah, I mean like I mean there's just a lot of like jokes from the time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Basi- like they do you know, religious-themed song parodies. Uh-huh. I think that, um, yeah, I think that there's a moment where they sing a version of I saw the sign and change it to I saw the Christ. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's just a lot of, like, I mean, and that just, I don't know if that exact song happened, right. but a lot of that shit happened one-to-one yeah. when I was doing yeah. it. But, um yeah, as far as just kind of, like, emotional, philosophical stuff, I think there's just a lot of points where the main character has some feelings, like, I don't, know if i believe this but i like these people and i'm getting something out of this but also i don't know if i believe everything i don't know if i agree with this but i still feel pulled to do it and i think that's just like something i thought a lot about as a kid i'm like well some of this i like some of this i don't like Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. you know is this something i can still be a part of um and you know and i won't like spoil where she lands with it but like yeah that was just something i thought a lot about of like can i can i do this should i do this if i don't believe everything if i disagree with this and yeah and i think that's like hopefully something people can relate to if not like in a faith way hopefully there's maybe some other parts of people's lives where they've like thought about should i do this thing even if i'm not all in or even if i have reservations
0: if I'm not mistaken, you said earlier, Youth Group is going to be a graphic novel, correct? A graphic novel, yes. Yeah. So this will be your second graphic novel, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yeah. So what resonates with you creatively about that as a medium? What do you like about the collision of the visual style and and the writing that that you get to do?
1: I'm a big, like group creative person i definitely love being in a writer's room i love having a co-writer i love having people to bounce ideas off of and you know and that is kind of like what jordan jesse go is in a way it's a little like writing session where we're all just trying to be funny together so yeah i just really like that and i think like having Having a medium where you just, like, are forced to collaborate with someone (laughs) is really cool. And there's not just the artist, but, you know, if you have a co-writer, I co-wrote Bubble with Sarah Morgan. And, you know, you have editors. And I am not an artist. So, like, everything the artist is doing is a total surprise to me. Something cool about comics is that because they are comics, it's a medium where just there's a lot of crazy genre shit. And, like, that was its birth and it's that's still happening in it and yes there are a lot of like fun home type comics that are more autobiographical Mm -hmm. and i love that Mm -hmm. everybody should read fun home another cold ass take for you on this show (laughs) fun home is good uh but yeah like that stuff is is really really great but like you know the tradition of comics is so full of supermans and spider mans that like you can have fantastic stuff happening and you don't have to like Mm -hmm. hold people's hand as hard. They just like, they're like, yeah, I'm reading a comic. There's going to be monsters. There's going to be powers. There's going to be laser guns. So yeah, it's just kind of a fun place to
0: do genre storytelling because like the audience is there for it. What do you think in the case of bubble? Because I know bubble originally was a script that you were thinking of for TV, if I'm not mistaken, Mm -hmm. and then it became a podcast and then it became a graphic novel. Was there anything about Bubble that was able to emerge in the version of it as a graphic novel that you were particularly delighted by or or surprised by.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that like in comics, you can have loaded silences. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's definitely not something you can do in a podcast. <laughs> no. It's like you can have, I mean maybe you can, maybe there's a, you know, sound designer out there who can really load a silence yeah. with meaning somehow
0: but like I'm definitely um, going to leave in the part where you spilled the water and we don't know if your taxes are going to be okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> right yes will his taxes be okay
1: uh no I, I you know i should say that like a a a a loaded silence is probably difficult in audio yeah. i shouldn't say impossible but probably something that's a little bit hard and yeah i think that like In Bubble, you just kind of like got to have some moments where the characters were quiet or they were reacting. You Mm -hmm, could like see mm -hmm. them react to a joke or a crazy thing that's happening. And yeah, and I think that's something that like, that's one of those like essential comedy rules that people will tell you in classes and stuff is like the funny part of a joke isn't just the joke, but it's someone reacting to it. So like you get (laughs) to you know don't just have you can't just have somebody say like that's a little crazy you get to like see the look on their face and those are just really really great moments and yeah for bubble we got to have some wordless scenes we got to have some scenes that were just action mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you know where the story was told through action and body language and expression so yeah those 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 were
0: really great it was really fun to be able to like explore those moments that are a little harder in audio and was youth group the first project you've worked on where it was conceived as a graphic novel from the beginning
1: yeah uh-huh yeah uh, youth group was always um you know I always thought of it as being a cool idea for comics
0: and uh yeah it's been really really fun to take it from you know pitch to finished and what about what about the story you wanted to tell felt so uh, particular to that format
1: it's the stuff I kind of mentioned mm-hmm. in that like there's demons and there's magic and there's Enchanted weapons and, but also like big, big teen feelings. It's a YA book. So, Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. the main characters are teenagers having like teen feelings. And, like, there's just a great tradition of that with comics. Mm -hmm, Like, mm -hmm. you know, you have your ghost worlds and stuff, but also like the X Men. The X Men are just fucking teenagers. They're dramatic. They're you know falling in love they're fighting with each other so the yeah it songs. just kind of like seemed like a very that's the secret exactly yeah um it just kind of seemed like it was a very comicsy story and yeah I, I i mean i think it it it's it's really turned out great i'm 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 so excited for people to see it and i think that yeah all that all that stuff. There's the kind of like ghost world realism, but also that kind of like Marvel operatic battle yeah. uh, mm-hmm. that, that that I that I hope that I hope people
0: that I hope comes across. Well, uh, I so appreciate you coming on the show today, Jordan. I know we are we are at time. Um, the last thing I, I always like to ask folks is, do you have uh, an artistic mantra? Something you you tell yourself uh, maybe like when the going gets tough. Oh, uh I
1: mean it's due on Thursday, so I better have it done on Thursday. <laughs> so yeah, I I that's that's something that I um that really motivates me. I'm a deadline guy. Mm-hmm. Even if I don't have a hard and fast deadline, I like to give myself one. Yep. Um, you know, whether it's like telling a friend, hey, on Thursday, I'm gonna send you this script for notes. And if your script isn't done on Thursday, you're gonna look like a big fucking dope so
0: (laughs) yeah i'm a deadline guy have it in by thursday yeah well uh thank you so much for this time man it was a it was a real pleasure and um i can't wait to uh read youth group when it comes out thank you thank you so much Disease is hosted, produced, mixed, and edited by me, Sam dingley Thank you to Jordan Morris for joining me on the show today. Remember, you can visit the link in the show notes, or head to bit.ly/youthgroupbook to pre-order your copy of Youth Group. You can reach me once again via email at midnight at walt.fm, and I would love to hear from you about this episode, or any other episode, or anything that you would like to say. Reach out, and if you can't get enough Sam Dingman in your ears, why not put some in front of your eyes at samdingman.substack.com. Our show art is by M.K. Cummins, and we will be back with another installment of Good Company on this Friday. Until then, thank you for letting your madness ride with mine. I'll talk to you soon, and in the meantime, keep driving. You're listening to WALT
1: Homegrown
0: Homemade Radio.